As has been mentioned, we're certainly looking forward to our uh, get-together with the uh, young people tonight, college age, and, and some younger and some a little older, too, will be fine as well. You don't have to literally be college age to participate, and we've already mentioned that those uh, families who are interested in encouraging our young people to uh, be with us as well. We have uh, plenty of food downstairs, and we're looking forward to Brother Freeman Cooper sharing thoughts with us that are very important in terms of uh, the safety of our, our young people. And tonight, in keeping with the, the uh, idea that uh, we are going to be talking about uh, safety, I want to talk about spiritual safety in the lesson tonight uh, as we look at uh, uh, one of the Old Testament uh, characters who was a great example of how to stay spiritually safe uh, in any kind of situation. I want us to think together for a few moments tonight about Joseph's patience in temptation and, and tribulation. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 12 and verse 12 that we are to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, continuing earnest in prayer, and certainly or instant in prayer, patient in tribulation, Remember what James wrote, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience. And then he says, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or complete and entire, wanting nothing. Blessed is the man, James, in that same first chapter of James, a few verses later says, That endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. All of us, young or old, of course, face uh, temptation. We face trials and challenges in our lives, and certainly we need to know how to deal with those trials and those tribulations, and yes, the temptations that, that Satan brings. Uh, the word that is used in the two passages in James from which we quote it is, is the same word in the original, but it indicates different things in its context. My brethren, count it all joy, verse 2 of James 1, when you fall into various trials. And there the idea of trials and the testing of faith. But then down at verse 12 of James 1, blessed is the man who endures temptation, same word, but sometimes that word is used uh, in reference to temptation to sin. Sometimes it's used in reference to a trial or a test of faith. And therefore, the context has to determine how the word is being used. Now, in verse 12 of James 1, when James says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. He then adds in verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Then he goes on to explain that each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed and so forth. And the sinning process is described in those verses. And so the same word is used in the original, but it means two different things at times depending upon the context. Remember that in Genesis 22 and verse 1, the King James says that God tempted Abraham when he told him to go offer Isaac his son upon the altar. Of course, he did not let him go through with that process, and he stopped his hand and said, Now I know that you are faithful to me. But the King James translates the word tempted there, but the Lord doesn't tempt anyone in the sense of temptation to sin. 
but he does allow us to be tried and tested. And that patience would be the end product of that trying and that testing. That tribulation that sometimes comes that the Lord does not always shield us from, obviously, is designed to work in our favor for our good if we'll make it work for our good. And we're about to learn more and refresh our minds about a man named Joseph who was able to develop patience in temptation and in tribulation. And the word patience is a word that we need to appreciate as we have talked about in times past. Patience, scripturally defined, is steadfastness or endurance under trial, endurance under difficulty. And so we develop steadfastness. We develop a strength. And Joseph's temptations and Joseph's trials led to his patience, that is, to his steadfastness. But he was a young man who had temptations in various situations. Think with me about a few of those tonight. First of all, Joseph had temptations in the partiality of parents. He had temptations in the partiality of parents. Sometimes parents can be guilty of partiality, and Jacob was one who was guilty of such because Joseph was his favorite son. If you look at the uh, 37th chapter of Genesis where the account of Joseph begins all the way from chapters 37 through chapter 50 of Genesis. Now Jacob, verse 1, dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Verse 2, this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, now think about the age of this young man now, 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now look at verse 3. Now Israel, that is Jacob, sometimes called Israel, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. Jacob was partial to Joseph. He was the son of his old age and he loved him more than all his children. That was a shortcoming with Jacob. The partiality of that parent led to trials and difficulties, to say the least, and temptations for Joseph because his brothers understood and appreciated to the fullest that Jacob loved Joseph more than he loved them. And it produced in them a hatred for Joseph. And Joseph could have returned that hatred. He could have tempted or tested his own brothers with his favored position. You know, the old expression, Daddy loves me more than he loves you. He could have, have tempted them with that kind of attitude. He could have also become discouraged and given up because he was not appreciated by his brothers. But he did none of that because he trusted in God. And despite the shortcoming that Jacob had in favoring Joseph above his other children, there was a great deal to be said about Jacob, about Joseph's parents and the training that they had obviously provided for him and the example that they had set for him that provided for him a foundation that enabled him to resist the temptation even in the partiality of parents. You know, there's a New Testament passage that, that comes to mind here 
where the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse uh, 1 talks about children obeying their parents, honoring their father and mother, but in verse 4 he says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Jacob would have done well to have avoided provoking his other children to wrath by showing favoritism and partiality toward Joseph. And yet, that was something he did, something we must uh, avoid, obviously. Temptations and the partiality of parents. But then, because of that partiality of the parents and the hatred that, that uh, the brothers uh, exhibited toward him, and of course you remember uh, the account of how when he went to the field to check on them at his father's behest, uh, they took him, they were going to kill him, and Reuben stopped them from doing that. They put him in the pit, and Reuben had intended to come back and get him, but of course they uh, sold him into slavery. And that brings us to the next temptation that Joseph had to endure. Not only the temptation in the partiality of parents, but the temptation in the poverty of being a slave. And that's chapter 39 of Genesis as the account continues. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Look at the change in his circumstances that has occurred. What a change from being... Uh, the favorite son of his father wearing the tunic of many colors to suddenly finding himself in a very short span of time going from that situation to the humiliation of being a slave. The temptation was there to become sour. The temptation was there to become sullen and cynical toward the world. But how did he overcome that? He believed obviously that God was with him as much as a slave as when he was the favored son of Jacob his father, because he understood and appreciated because of his faith in God that though his external circumstances might change virtually overnight, the love for, of God for him had not changed, nor should his love for God change. And he understood that in whatever station we find ourselves in life, that should not and must not alter our relationship to God. Remember again, going back to the Ephesian epistle, that same sixth chapter at verses 5 through 8, where there Paul uh, at a time when this relationship was, uh, was very much uh, present, said to the servants, Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, Listen to it, whether he is a slave or free. Joseph understood that principle long before Paul expressed it by inspiration in that New Testament epistle. That whether he was a slave or whether he was free, that did not change his relationship to God and it did not change his faith in God. Now think with me about another statement of a New Testament writer, the same one who wrote Ephesians, that is the Apostle Paul, and what he said that's pertinent to this matter in Philippians chapter 4 Verse 11, remember, not that I speak in respect or regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. 
Joseph is an Old Testament character that reflects an understanding of that principle that was later expressed in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Why? Because my relationship to God is still intact regardless of my external circumstances. Joseph obviously understood that. And so he could withstand the temptations in the poverty of slavery. But what about in the prosperity of Egypt? Again, stay in chapter 39 of Genesis and see that as he was um, blessed by God in Potiphar's house, that God prospered him. And verse 6 says, thus he, this is uh, Potiphar now, left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. That's how much confidence uh, Potiphar had in Joseph. And it also mentions that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And that leads to the next temptation about which we'll speak in just a moment with Potiphar's wife. But what about the temptation in the prosperity of Egypt? Would there not there be the temptation to forget God? Isn't that the temptation that faces people who are in prosperity, materially speaking? Isn't that the uh, continuing issue that uh, Israel and Judah had as they prospered materially in, in the days of old and as they forgot God despite the fact that they were warned about it? Remember what Moses warned in Deuteronomy 6 and uh, verse uh, 10, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. And then he said, when you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. We need to beware lest we forget the Lord in times of prosperity, as often people do. And as it is said, often we do not need to be like the pig who eats the acorns and never looks up to see the tree from whence they have come. There is a temptation that people have in times of prosperity, especially in feeling that they do not need God. When we come to a New Testament example of that, we see it in Luke chapter 12, don't we? Remember Luke chapter 12, the parable that Jesus, that Jesus spoke there, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Then he adds, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Forgetting God in times of prosperity. And let me add something else to our young people. There's a tendency at times to forget God, not in your prosperity as a young person necessarily, but in your youth itself. There is a tendency at times to develop a false security in one's youth, thinking that his or her whole life is ahead. Many, many years. As the rich man said, I'll just... Uh, 
I'll just uh, tear down my barns and build uh, bigger barns and say to my soul, sake, take your ease, you've got it laid up for many years to come. Many times young people may think their lives will last for many years. And certainly our fervent prayer is that every young person here tonight, for you that would be the case, that you would have long, long lives. But there is absolutely no assurance of such. And we know very well that the lives of young people can be tragically and suddenly snuffed out in a moment of time. And it has happened and it will continue to happen. Therefore, we must make sure that we do not succumb to the temptation to develop a false security in our youth that leads us to forget God in our youth, thinking, well, when I'm older, later on, then, no, we need to serve God from the earliest age of accountability and determined to serve him faithfully for all of our lives. How did Joseph overcome the temptation in the prosperity of Egypt? He thanked God for his prosperity, didn't he? He recognized the source of his prosperity and he saw God's providence in his promotion. He saw God's hand in it. And then there's the temptation in Potiphar's house. And that leads us to verse 7 where it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. How did Joseph react? Here was the lust of the flesh that was manifesting itself in the wife of Joseph's master. And he was tempted. This was a temptation that was set before him. A temptation to compromise because it could have meant advancement for him. It could have helped to secure uh, the, uh, the goodwill of, of the wife and certainly would not risk uh, uh, her scorn and bringing about her scorn if he refuses. There could have been all sorts of rationalization that could have gone through uh, his head. A long way from home. I'm a young man. God doesn't uh, really expect me to be able to Resist this. All sorts of rationalization he could have engaged in here. But he didn't. How did he overcome? He had prepared himself for this point in time to protect his character when some situation like this arose. He was ready for it. He saw sin for what it was. And in... Verse 8, he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. Listen to this. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What a statement. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Oh, how we need such recognition today in the world in which we live from young people as well as old people about sin and recognizing it for what it is and calling it what it is. And yet the situation ethicists of our day would say to uh, Joseph, well, under these circumstances, uh, then you wouldn't have been expected to 
have been that strong. You could have uh, succumbed. He could have bought into that line, but he didn't. There are those who say abstinence is best. There's a better statement than that. It is not that abstinence is best. It is that abstinence is Bible. Abstinence is Bible. It's not just best. It's what the Bible teaches. And Joseph understood a principle that would be later expressed by Paul again in his writings, this time to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with, listen, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Here's young people what you need to be pursuing, Paul says, righteousness, that is just simply right doing, and faith and love and peace with others who are like-minded and not putting yourselves in situations where you are with others who are not like-minded, but you pursue all of these wonderful things with those who call on the Lord out of what? Out of a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now what happened to Joseph as a result of doing the right thing? He winds up in prison, doesn't he? He does the right thing. He does bring on the scorn of this woman who falsely accuses him because when he tries to get away from her, she grabs his garment. He left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And then she called the men of the house and spoke to them saying what? See, he has brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And where did that land Joseph? Verse 20 of chapter 39, Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. And that brings us to his temptation in prison. And a temptation arises here to distrust God because the righteous are suffering. In this case, the righteous individual, Joseph, is suffering and the wicked are prospering. That lady's back home with her husband having falsely accused Joseph and he winds up in prison. And that's the temptation that comes to distrust God when the righteous suffer suffer and the wicked prosper. You remember the, the 73rd Psalm? In Psalm 73, we have that very situation. We won't take time to read it all, obviously, but it begins, truly, God is good to Israel. The psalmist writes, to such as are pure in heart, he knows that now, but then he goes back a little bit in time and he says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then he goes on to describe all of that. And then he says in verse 16, When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. But here's the key, verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. That wicked lady 
may have prospered for a time in her lie that she told about Joseph while he was temporarily in prison, but ultimately she didn't prosper. But ultimately, Joseph did. The temptation to give up was there. The temptation to simply throw up his hands at this point in time and say, look what I've tried to do at every step of the way. I've been faithful to God and where has it gotten me? I have been landed in prison. Why should I continue to do right? When I've done everything I can do, I'm a young man. What does God expect of me? I'm giving up. No. No. He overcame because he didn't judge God by what happened in one day. He looked to tomorrow. His body was shackled, but not his spirit. Reminds us of Paul and Silas, doesn't it, in Acts chapter 16. After they had been beaten and put in prison, and about midnight, Acts 16.25 says, they were praying and singing praises to God. And the prisoners heard them. After all they had suffered in that situation, they were praising God. And look at the result of the spirit of these men. In both cases, Paul and Silas and Joseph. In the case of Paul and Silas, the jailer and his household were converted to Christ as a result of the fact that they did not lose heart and grow discouraged. And God blessed that situation. And Joseph's faithfulness led to the salvation of many during the great famine that arose. And he was elevated ultimately to a position of power that enabled him to bring about that salvation of many souls. And that leads to the next temptation. He was elevated to a position of power, and there was temptation in that position of power. And that's our final point. You see, chapter 45, we pick up where he is not able to restrain himself anymore before all those who stood by him. His brothers are in his presence now. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. They thought he was dead. He makes himself known and he wept aloud and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. And then he wanted to know about his father after he told them who he was. But oh, what a temptation now for Joseph in a position of power. Now he has the opportunity to get even with his brothers. Look what they've done to him. Look what they've caused him. Now he's in a position to get back at them. How did he overcome it? He did not allow the passing years to fill him with hatred. He had moved on. He had gotten over it. He had practiced a forgiving spirit all of his life and he was able through all of this that we have talked about briefly tonight to see in all of this the hand of God. Listen to verses 5 through 8 of chapter 45. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry. He's talking to his brothers now. Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. There's the attitude. He saw the hand of God. 
He saw the good that resulted. When he said, it was not you who sent me here, but God, is he saying that God caused those brothers to hate him? Of course not. That God caused those brothers to plot to kill him and that ultimately he was sold into slavery because God did it? No. No, they did it. But God turned that evil attitude and that adversity that it brought to Joseph into a blessing. Not only for Joseph, but ultimately for the brothers who brought that adversity upon him and for a great many others. Reminds us of the 107th Psalm, which throughout that psalm talks about the, the providence of God and the goodness of God. And four times in that psalm, the same words are used. Verse 8 is the first time we read them. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 15 again, the same words. Verse 21 again, the same words. Verse 31 again, the same words. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Of men. And then the very last verse of that 107th Psalm, verse 43, says, Whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Joseph was an example of one who observed the things that had happened, even the adversity that had occurred, and was able to see the blessing that came from it, the good that resulted. It was Joseph's perception of God that led him through every temptation and trial to patience, steadfastness, and endurance. And it's our perception of God that will do the same for us in this 21st century. But we need to make sure that that perception of God is a correct perception and that we practice what Joseph practiced that led ultimately to his patience and steadfastness and not only to his patience but to his praise for the God of heaven whom he knew had never forsaken him despite the adversity that came to his life. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, your perception of God certainly is not as it should be. For if you truly perceived God as God presents himself to us in his word, then that perception would have to cause you to respond to the love that you would see in Scripture that describes the God of heaven who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We love him because he first loved us, or do we? If we do, then we will respond in love to that love by demonstrating our love in obedience to his will. How does one do that in becoming a Christian? By a belief that leads him to repent of sins, confess Jesus as the Christ, and be buried in baptism for the remission of sins, knowing that only in that watery burial is the blood of Christ applied. And you must overcome any hesitation, any temptation that would keep you from that watery grave, because in that water, not by that water, but in that water, the blood of Jesus is applied. 
we must have enough faith to be determined to go down into that watery burial knowing that we'll come forth from that burial cleansed by the blood of Christ. As I say that, I cannot help but think of a young lady who just this last week in Fayetteville, North Carolina, obeyed the gospel. And no doubt this young lady was not just shy, but she obviously had a deathly fear of water. She must have, because we waited and we waited and we waited as she stood in the baptistry. And as her father, who was going to baptize her into Christ, obviously was talking with her and I was not in a position where I could hear what he was saying, but he was trying to help her overcome that fear, obviously, that she had of that water. And the local preacher told me that he was close enough to hear her say on one or more occasions during that period of time, I know, I know this is going to wash me from my sins. I know this is going to forgive me of my sins. And she knew that she had to do it and had to overcome her fears. And she did. She did, and she was baptized into Christ. Whatever it is that Satan seeks to place before us by way of temptation, we need to overcome. Whatever barrier may be there is not a barrier that can possibly prevent us from doing what we need to do. It cannot be, because we need to know, as that young lady expressed, I know this is going to to forgive me of my sins because she understood that baptism washes away sins not by the water but in the water by the blood. That's what you must do tonight and we pray that nothing, nothing would keep you from doing it if that is your need tonight because you have not done it. It is your need if you haven't done it. And if you need to come home to your first love as a wayward child of God in repentance and confession of sin that's public in nature, we plead with you to confess it as publicly as it's been committed so that your influence may be restored, but that more importantly, your relationship to God may be restored. And we are eagerly await an opportunity to pray with you and for you to the God who loves you and will forgive you completely. As we stand to sing, will you come? Amen.